you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi everybody, I'm John Raby. Here's what America thought about the old intro to this podcast. That intro is too long. Dude, that's too long. Too, too long. long. It's muy largo. What the hell, John? That intro's too long. You gotta make a new intro. Okay, here's the new intro. For more than 10 years on KPCC, I did a show about all the great people, places, and ideas of Southern California. Now I'm bringing it back, one piece at a time. From LA Studios, welcome to Off Ramp. Much better. Hey everybody, it's John Raby, and what I'm going to play for you today is my 2017 interview with Catherine Opie, who back in 2011 was allowed access to Elizabeth Taylor's house. This was before and after Elizabeth Taylor died, and she took 3,000 photos. And Catherine Opie's thing is to take pictures of people in their places, and it really then... uh, you know, tells that person's story. And since you and I have never been in Elizabeth Taylor's house, this is pretty much your best chance. And then listening back to this interview for the first time in a few years, I realized that I never said exactly who Catherine Opie was. I'm sure a lot of you know who she is. She's a very famous photographer, but maybe you don't know. So Catherine Opie uh, is a 61-year-old photographer who was born in Ohio She got an Instamatic when she was a kid and immediately started taking photos. She moved to Los Angeles some time ago and has been living here and working. She teaches at UCLA. She is a butch female who has a partner and a kid, and uh, she is held in a bunch of collections. Her work is in a bunch of collections. She's super famous. Uh, her, Her work is held by the Broad, the Getty, the Hammer, the Library of Congress, LACMA, uh, MOCA here, MOMA, the National Portrait Gallery in London, the National Portrait Gallery in the United States, the Tate in London, the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis, and the Whitney Museum of American Art in New York. She got a Guggenheim Fellowship, and I think the only thing she doesn't have is a daytime Emmy, which I'm also seeking. So that said, let's listen back now to uh, the fantastic Catherine Opie, from 2017. This is Off Ramp. I'm John Raby, and I'm at MOCA's Pacific Design Center in West Hollywood for the latest show from photographer Catherine Opie. It's called 700 Neems Road, because that's the address of the home Elizabeth Taylor lived in for decades. Opie had exclusive access to the home in the weeks just before and just after Taylor's death, and she joins me now. Great to see you again. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you for having me. Catherine, why did you want to photograph Elizabeth Taylor's home? Well, I think that it's about a challenge and about different ways that we perceive ideas of portraiture. And when it just so happened that we shared the same accountant, Derek Lee, and he asked me if I would like to do anything with Elizabeth. And it took me a few years to wrap my head around it and um, kind of entered it thinking about Eggleston's, William Eggleston's Graceland photographs that he made of Elvis's estate. And I thought, well, how interesting would it be to try to take somebody as iconic as Elizabeth Taylor and truly make a portrait of her home in the fact that she was still living in her home? Yeah, And I guess it's possible that her home might not have been a a representative portrait of her. It turned out it is, but it might not have worked. No. I mean, that's the good thing about uh, making art is that you go into things thinking about certain things and you learn... 
you learn a whole lot through the process. And through this process, Elizabeth passed away in the middle of it. And so then I had to sit there and edit uh, from 3,000 photographs what this exhibition began to be to try to really figure out how to make a portrait. Again, you started working on this when Elizabeth Taylor was still alive. Uh, She was alive for a few weeks while you were in the house with her. Did you ever think about trying to get her into a photograph? No, that was never really my intention. Um, I felt that probably that would be asking a lot. I knew that her health wasn't in uh, top shape. And I really wanted to actually try to grapple with that idea of how to represent somebody through their belongings versus photographing somebody who is utterly so iconic. So can you make a more humanistic and more truthful portrait to a certain extent by the observation of making images in one's home? And I think if you included even one shot of her that you had taken, that would be distracting. That would be automatically the photo that everybody would look at. And especially when she's in ill health, it would then... You know, that'd be kind of icky. Yeah, no, I, I think that I like to stay away from icky. I always uh, <laughs> I always go into things really thinking about uh, what is human. How do we interact with the world in relationship to that? How do we think about ideas of photography and representation? And it just unfolded really slowly for me, actually, because it was so quiet in the house. Mm-hmm. I live in West Adams, and it's not quiet in no. West Adams. And all of a sudden, I was going to this simple little California ranch house in Bel Air that literally on the outside of the gate, it only said 700. (laughs) And then to enter through those doors of the lavender carpets and all of the amazing art that she had collected throughout her life, but also valued her children and grandchildren's art that they made as well. We could talk about a few of these specific things, but, but in general... What did her house say about her? I think it said that she was a very passionate person who really enjoyed entertaining, but really loved having family and people around her. And the fact is, is that she could have had a, her foundation or her office out of the home, but she was really about the home. That's where her office was. The staff was there. It was really all kind of encompassed in this uh, this very simple ranch. And what about the design and decor? Well, lavender, uh, plush, really comfortable. Like you sit in a you sit on an Elizabeth Taylor sofa, and you're really happy to be on that sofa. The fabrics and the attention to that kind of detail uh, were there. And you know, funny, a lot of people would say to me, "Well, Kathy, was she a hoarder?" And I was like, "No, no, no, no. Elizabeth wasn't a hoarder." <laughs> Uh, Elizabeth really liked her things that were around her, and people gave her a lot of gifts. I mean, she was Elizabeth Taylor. I love the idea of a hoarder. Yes, she hoards. Yes, she hoards uh, old masters' paintings. She hoards uh, jewelry that's that's worth millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, she's a hoarder. I know it was really interesting that people wondered about that because they just thought the kind of cacophony of all of the objects were were so much, but there was actually a rhyme and a reason to it. Like the Buddhas on the table, uh, you know, or kind of the lines of purses, the closets, all of that had a very distinct order to it. I think that your photos, both 
in the exhibit here at uh, MOCA's Pacific Design Center and in the catalog, and, there, and there's a ton more in the, in the catalog in the book, um, they, they do two things. They glamorize Elizabeth Taylor because these, these articles are so rich and beautiful and the jewelry, and it just, man. But they also humanize her at the same time because here are family photos. Here's, you know, you've got Oscars lined up. Right. Well, of course she has Oscars, but they're all out in the living room just like anybody else would have their kids' bowling trophies. Yeah, no, and I think that's what I really appreciate is like the celebration of her life was definitely a life to be celebrated, but it's not like you were getting hit over the head with her idea of herself as celebrity. And, you know, some celebrity houses, not that I frequent many of them, I, I probably am talking off cuff because I haven't actually been to that many houses, but, you know, I have been to houses where... Uh, people display every single photograph of themselves with somebody. You know, Elizabeth had very, like, when she displayed something, there was also a little bit of humor in it. Like, there's an amazing image on the shelf of Bill Clinton kind of with his hands out. And on one side is Elizabeth Taylor, and on one side is uh, Sophia Loren. <laughs> and you, it looks like he's telling some bad boob joke, you right. know? And you could tell that Elizabeth probably wanted that photograph because it was really funny. And I like that. Poor Clinton doesn't know what to do. I can't decide. There's her with Clinton. But then there's her with the Queen. You should put those photos out. Yeah, no, exactly. If you're going to be with the royals, and uh, then you really need to have those. And the other things about the photographs that are really beautiful is the age of the photographs. So all color photographs over time, you know, fade. Yeah. And so within my my color images, there's this whole history of also photography, you know, with the black and white images of her and Richard Burton together. So I really like that um, the body of work also encompasses what it is to look again and again and again, including me looking at Warhol, Warhol looking at Elizabeth, yeah. and my reflection in in the Warhol image of Elizabeth. Like all of that is the double entendre of what it is to look, what it is to read images very carefully actually and I'm, and I'm hoping that I ask that of the viewers. We were talking about that looking at uh, the, the big photo of the boots because yeah, the there are clues boots. in the cowboy boots. Yeah, no, the cowboy boots are fantastic. I mean, that's a perfect example of what it is to really look at it. First you look at a photograph and you go, oh yeah, there's all our cowboy boots. But then all of a sudden you realize the details of it. Which boots does she wear time and time again? Which ones are scuffed and slouched and have that human, again, that human presence and touch to them? And they're the pink boots. They're probably the ones that didn't cost as much as all of the other really exotic skin boots, you know? And I so appreciate that because that does show this kind of democracy of objects to her. Yes, she valued the Krupp diamond because it was like this huge, giant, beautiful diamond and all of her valuable jewelry. But she also took kind of care and love of stuffed animals that were in her bedroom. We're going to take a very quick break here, but when we come back, we're going to hear how Catherine Opie being a tomboy, and she identifies herself as a butch female, how that plays into her relationship with Elizabeth Taylor. From LAS Studios, this is Off Ramp. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. 
one lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAist.com slash sweeps. This is Off Ramp from LAist Studios. I'm John Raby. Let's get back to my conversation with Catherine Opie. This is also you, Catherine Opie, looking at Elizabeth Taylor's uh, home. And as you write in the, in the book that accompanies the exhibit, uh, when, you, when you saw movies of, of Elizabeth Taylor when you were a kid, you said that her femininity frightened you. And, that, uh, that, and, it, and you write that Elizabeth Taylor has this, this ultimate femininity. So what did you mean that it, that it challenged you, that it frightened you? Well, I've always been a tomboy. And I think that, like, to think about having to be feminine in that way as being born female, I think that was really hard on me. Like, I could imagine myself being uh, Doris Day a little bit easier. You know, she had a cute little haircut. She was kind of goofy. There was, like, moments of butchness with her. But with Elizabeth, she was the ultimate them in a way and even in photographing her house as like a butch identified uh, lesbian I kind of like would put my scuffy tennis shoe up next to her like you know silvery pump and I'd be like how did how did she do it like why do you use all those eyebrow tweezers what are all the tweezers for like there was such a interesting kind of moment of me grappling with my own uh my own inability to embrace femininity that was curious for me. Uh, curious, though? <laughs> uncomfortable? You said you did write frightened. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, what, what, what frightens you? I what, don't, yeah, fright, I don't know if I would use frightened to this day. I probably said that at one point. Yeah. But I'm not scared of femininity. I'm more, I guess, frightened in relationship to something that would I would never want to achieve or also the absolute inability to kind of achieve. Although recently I did buy a dress. It's a post-Caitlin world we're living in. (laughs) And at the same time, Elizabeth Taylor was known for her very early and uh, just unqualified support for homosexuals, gays and lesbians. Yeah, no, and that's the other part is why Elizabeth Taylor versus other people's homes to enter make a portrait of. Um, it is that relationship to her starting Amfar and the incredible courage that she had to really address the AIDS crisis, uh, not only with America, but globally. And I respect that. Like when there's the image of the red ribbons, of the drawer of different red ribbons from different events, and it just so happens to also have a skull uh, pin in it. Like that just like... I mean, I didn't arrange that. That was just in the drawer like that. And it's very moving to me after, you know, from losing so many friends. Were there rules that you imposed on yourself or rules that they imposed on you for working within the house? Yeah, there were rules. And I didn't impose that many rules on myself except for, you know, really being very, very respectful. Uh, and especially, it was a, an incredibly mournful, intense moment after she passed. And for them to still embrace my documentation and continue to want me to finish the project, uh, the, the body of work was 
incredible. Uh, the only thing that I was specifically asked not to take any images of were any kind of um, medical supplies. But otherwise, they really allowed me to have an enormous amount of freedom. And nobody, it was, what's surprising is there's been Architectural Digest photographs. There have been so many photographers involved in Elizabeth's life. But uh, nobody had really been given access like this. And that was really shocking. Like, I still go like, well, why me? Do you think she knew who you were? She knew all my work because she looked at the work and then said it was okay. So she gave me permission. Yeah. Maybe that was another way of reaching out to the gay community. Or, I'm sorry, or maybe your work transcends uh, gender (laughs) and and, uh, sexual orientation. No, 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 maybe it does. There are photos of Richard Burton. There are photos of Michael Jackson. Uh, and, And these photos, which were out all the time, tell you that it wasn't just um, some sort of tabloid fodder. These were real relationships. No, definitely. I mean, with the amount of photographs that were out of Richard Burton, and certainly there were other ex-husbands out as well, especially in relationship to children. But you, you, I really felt that Richard Burton was the love of her life. Like, there were so many tender photographs throughout the home of Richard. And also Michael was there. Michael's shirt was hanging in the closet. When you first walked into the jewelry closet, you saw the the black shirt with the red stripe that he wore for a performance. And he was on the bedside table. And he was in the foyer with a signed picture of himself when he walked in. And the boxes of jewelry that he had given her were all labeled with Michael Jackson diamond ring or so forth. So no, the, the she was... Yeah, it was tender. Their relationship, I imagine, was very tender. And then, again, back to, to looking, it, it it might say to the viewer, oh, maybe I shouldn't make that joke, you know? This is, it might be funny, ha uh, ha Elizabeth Taylor and Michael Jackson, or whatever, I don't know, but, you know, they got married so many times, she and Burton. But, it actually, you know, you're, you're actually saying something about a real person. Well, I think that's the problem between the tabloids and the idea of a celebrity home and the kind of issues of gossip and the encapsulation. Like, all the miniatures are really important to me in representing them within the photographs because you wonder how miniaturized people really do feel as a celebrity. And so the other thing is that relationship to, okay... Like, can we stop the jokes and all of that and just realize that we're all human beings living here, kind of struggling in this world together? And some happen to be extremely famous (laughs) because of how celebrated celebrity culture is. And, you know, they have relationships and struggles pretty much like anybody else. And I feel like this portrait kind of just shows that tenderness potentially for us to enter her her home and her world in a different way. And lastly, Catherine Opie, who's done a show on Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> I just don't understand it, Paul. What? None of the other guys work for their allowance. I just don't want to work for my allowance. No work, no allowance. That's not fair! Don't raise your voice to me. Now, you get on out of here. I got things to do. Uh, has Ron Howard come to see the show? <laughs> That's funny. I know. I wonder if Ron Howard will. I said to Ron Howard, I said, you know, my last name really is Opie. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) he didn't really care. (laughs) I don't think he likes that kind of talk anymore. (laughs) Thanks so much for being on Off Ramp. It's good. I love Off Ramp. It's the perfect name, too. 
And that'll do it for this week. Our theme music is from Fesslian Studios for Elliest Studios. I'm John Raby. I'll see you next week on The Off-Ramp. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.